the second thing I wanted to say before we begin, uh, the series of sermons that we've been going through, uh, we've been going through them up until this point, you know, for half a year. These are designed, I've said this before, but I want to reiterate this, uh, this series of sermons that we've been going through on Sunday mornings, one word a week, an important word. We began way back at the beginning of the year. These are ordered in such a way that we're sort of going through in a systematic way um, how someone might present the, the message of God to somebody else. You know, beginning with the existence of God and who God is and his character and then into the nature of scripture and the nature of truth and inspiration and his spirit uh, and then into things like sin and righteousness and wrath and judgment. We've talked about a lot of different things and, and we've talked about salvation. You know, this is a, an order. There's an order to this. It's not just random. So as we're going through this and we come to our word for this morning, immersion... Baptism. We'll talk about that in just a minute. This is, of course, part of our series on faith, our faithful response to the saving work of God. We talked about salvation a couple months ago. What God has done as his saving work, how he has expressed his love in salvation. And, of course, we've been going through over the last few weeks our response. What does God expect us how does he expect us to respond to his offer of salvation? And of course, beginning with faith and, and what that means to have faith and how we're supposed to express that faith. And, and I've made a concerted over, effort over the last year, really year and a half now, to alter my vocabulary. And I keep using the word immersion. You're thinking, what does that mean? Immersion, immersion. Why does he keep saying that? Because I've, I've really, I don't like, and I've said this a lot, I, I want us to use the words as they were used by the original authors of Scripture. The original authors of Scripture used a word, in this case, immersion. We're going to talk about some others very briefly. That meant something. It was a regular, ordinary word in their society. It was not a religious, fancy word. Baptism has become a fancy religious word in our culture. It's not a regular word. You don't use baptism on a regular basis. You just don't. You use it in a religious context. The original writers in the New Testament did not use fancy religious words. They used normal, regular, ordinary language. And so that's what I'm trying to do as we go through some of these words to pair out, to, to remove the sort of extra special cultural baggage that is associated, not just with this word, but a lot of the words that we've gone over. Justification, righteousness, these sort of heavy religious words to get at the meaning. What do they mean in a very practical, basic sense for you and me? We can think about this word, baptizo, baptisma. There's a bunch of different forms of it. Typically translated, transliterated to baptize and baptism, as you can see, right? Not translated, but transliterated, meaning to immerse or to put in the water. Uh, the nouns, there are several different nouns here, ranging from to wash, to dip, to immerse. This is not some fringe view. I want to be clear about this. These are just very, uh, just a cursory examination. Dictionaries and encyclopedias that use this terminology when talking about this word. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Mounts' Dictionary, the ESV Study Bible, the NIV Word Study Bible, Strong's Dictionary, and I just stopped there. I got to five and I was like, I'm not going to keep going. This idea that this word means to put into water is not some fringe idea. It's a very standard, common idea in, in biblical studies. So when we think about the idea of baptism, what does that mean for you and me? The word they used was just a regular ordinary word that meant to put in the water. But that's not what we think of maybe in our culture because this word has not been translated. There is a danger 
in not using the word that everyone else uses. We don't want to go so far down this path that we become confusing in our language. Because this is, of course, not the only word like this. Angel, apostle, pastor, Christ, Messiah, I could keep going. These are all words that are not translations. They just take the Greek sounds, the, the English sounds of the Greek word, apostolos, angelos, uh, pastor is actually from Latin, it's not even Greek, uh, Christos, Messiah, which is only used a couple of times, but goes back to a Hebrew word, meaning anointed one. These are not translated in English. These are titles. These are, these are transliterations. Angel is messenger, right? Apostle is ambassador, emissary, one who is sent. A pastor is a shepherd. Christ is what? That goes back to this Hebrew word for Messiah, the anointed one. None of these are translated, just like baptism. So it can come across as combative or antagonistic to forsake words that are common to the English Christian experience for the last 300 years. And I see both sides of this argument, right? People have asked me over the last year and a half, why are you not using baptism? I understand that, that discussion because in some ways it can seem maybe that I'm trying to be combative, but I'm really not because words matter. And the writers of the Bible used specific words as they were directed, we've talked about in the past, directed by the Holy Spirit, were they not? That's what we're submitting when we talk about inspiration. They didn't choose some fancy religious word to talk about the process of being put into water as a, as a connection to Christ's death. They used regular, ordinary word. And so I think we need to be careful not to let the, the practice of transliteration of these titles, these religious fancy words, get in the way of our plain understanding of a very simple idea. Because the command to baptize has been integral to the Christian mission from the beginning. And we talked about this in class. We've talked about this verse a lot in our class. This is the very beginning of their mission, right? The Great Commission. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've read this a bunch. We don't need to go over it so much other than to say what? That from the very beginning of his mission for them, the very beginning, he has died, he has been resurrected. What do we do now, Jesus? This is what you do. And from the very beginning, immersion has been integral and part of what Jesus expected his people to do. And so for the rest of this, we're answering a singular question. Why? Why is it so important that we baptize them? Who's them? The lost, right? What does immersion do or accomplish as part of our faithful response to the gospel? And it's important to notice when we begin that the early church clearly thought it was necessary, an invaluable part of a person's conversion. Just in Acts chapter 8, we look at a couple of stories in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Down in verse 35, Philip goes to talk to somebody else. Philip opened his mouth and he began with this scripture. Uh, he told the, the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, just pick two verses. I don't know, a dozen times maybe in Acts, more than that. 
a couple dozen times in Acts. This is the process over and over and over because they're following the commands of Jesus, right? They're ultimately going back to what Jesus said. Go make disciples, immerse them, and teach them, which is what they did. It shouldn't be surprising then that that's what they did. In very plain language, again, not fancy technical jargon, but in very plain language, immersion confers several benefits to the person who would. And if we go back to this text in Romans 10, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? How are we calling on the name of the Lord? Part of our call is being immersed. And so we see some benefits here. Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we see here? The benefits conferred by this, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.25-27. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are, all, you are all sons of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's the benefit of immersion? Is that I have put on Christ. And you note the as many as language here. What does that mean? There are none who have put on Christ who have not been immersed. There's an equivalency, isn't there? Now, maybe you could make a technical argument. Well, he's just saying the same number of people that are immersed is the same number of people that have put on Christ and they're different even though they're the same. That's ridiculous. Nobody's going to make that argument. We understand. The plain, simple language here, what? You want to put on Christ? You have to be immersed. Oh, dropping stuff. It's exciting. Acts 12, or 19 rather, Acts 19, 2 through 3. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? This is Paul, he goes to Ephesus and he talks to them and he meets, the, meets some disciples there in Ephesus. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? Why does he ask that question? Why, if he, they say we've never heard of the Holy Spirit, why is his first thought... Well, then why were you baptized? Because Paul knows that through immersion, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, right? Repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why would you be immersed if you didn't know about the Holy Spirit? Because it is through immersion that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, very plain language here. Forgiveness, receiving the Spirit, putting on Christ, all of these things accomplished when we are immersed. Which again, the word baptism, some fancy religious word, not a fancy religious word, just means to put into water. Now, it doesn't just mean water, right? The water is not the point. This is a symbolic act, ultimately. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to what? At Noah being brought through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's not, of course, just about getting wet. If that were the case, if it was just about dunking you into water, then I would literally go into the audience and I would start grabbing people and dunking them. If that was it, I could force you to do that. Like, 
Some of you I couldn't, I'm not strong enough, but a lot of you I could. I could force you to just go in. And if that was it, I could do that. But of course we know that's not what it is, right? It's the appeal to God for a good conscience. How am I appealing that? Well, I've repented, right? We talked about repentance. That's part of my appeal. I'm appealing to God, give me a good conscience because I've repented. I'm, I'm submitting to your will. I've confessed my sin. I'm confessing my, my, uh, my belief in Jesus as Lord. I'm doing that as part of this appeal because I believe. We go back to faith, right? I have faith in the message of the gospel. You know, these are all tied together in, in what this means to be immersed into Christ. It's not just about being in the water, but it is about this submissive attitude that I am going to humbly submit to the will of God in my confession and my repentance and yes, in my immersion, because ultimately, even though it's not just about getting wet, what does the text say? Immersion, which corresponds to this, now saves you. There's no way around that. There's no way around that language. There's just no way around the way he says that. Baptism now saves you. I don't know what else you want. More symbolically, of course. Immersion mirrors and fulfills an important part of Christ's saving work in our lives. And this is what we will focus on for the rest of this lesson. The symbolism that is tied up in this act of being put into water. Colossians 2, 9 through 18. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, that is Jesus. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which, this, this, I've got this in which bold and underline because I want to make this point connecting them. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were. What is the in which? In baptism you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We are buried, and it's not, some, it's not a coincidence that the word that's used here, baptizo, means to to plunge or to immerse in water, to put into water. The symbolism there is not an accident, right? I go into the water, I am buried. We'll talk about this more in Romans 6, but I'm buried with Christ. But what's the point? In that act of being buried with him, I am then raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. One logically precedes the other. And if I want to experience the resurrection, the raising part of this, that I am changed, I am transformed, as we read in the previous verse, that I'm putting on Christ. If I want to be made alive with him, then I have to go through the first part of this too, right? The burial. Having been buried with him in immersion. And this is all tied up in this idea of circumcision, right? Not the circumcision of the flesh made with hands, but the circumcision of the heart. Ultimately, a physical act, immersion, which is a sign of submission. Now, in the, the circumcision, the idea of circumcision, that was the sign of the covenant, right? The sign of the old covenant. That, you know, all the boys would be circumcised when they're eight days old. And even if you were an adult and you came to be a Jew, proselyte, you had to be circumcised. And that was sort of the symbol of the covenant of Israel. 
Of course, he's saying that's, that's not what we're doing now, but there is a symbol. There's a sign of the covenant here. There's a, a, a marker of what's going on, and the marker here is what? Immersion. That you are being circumcised in your heart, the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh. Romans 6, eight, uh, 3 through 7. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Again, the implication is what? If you want to be in his death, you have to be immersed. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Why? This is, again, not just about going in the water, but what's the point? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, and, and this word if, oh man, the word if, one of those words that it, you could just highlight every version, every instance of it in the Bible, because it's a big signpost word, if. If we have been united with him in a death like his, which is what? What was the thing? How do we be united with him in a death like his? If we are immersed. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The if then, again, it's not complicated language. The if then phrasing. If the first thing, then the second thing. If I want the certainty of his resurrection, then what? I have to have the certainty of the immersion, the burial, the death, the united in his death. We know that our old self was crucified with him. When was it crucified with him? The crucifixion, that's repentance, right? Isn't that what that is? That I'm no longer going to live for self. I'm killing the old me, the old me that wanted things my way, that wanted things to just be all about me. I've, I've killed that person and I'm burying them in immersion. And the person that comes up is not the old me. It's the new me, the new life, right? Because I've put on Christ. The Spirit has come to me. I've received that gift of the Holy Spirit who's going to transform me. And all these things, of course, work together. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who died has died, has been set free from sin. And you can see so many connections and conditional statements and, and tying things together. And as you read all of these verses, again, this is a very cursory, you know, 25-minute sermon about immersion. Uh, in your, if you're in, in class on Sunday morning, you have a little bit more detail in one of the lessons about this. Immersion is an extension of a process that begins with faith, right? It begins with faith. I read the gospel or somebody teaches me the gospel. I believe in Yahweh. I believe who he is. I believe what he's done. I believe the gospel message, which is fundamentally that I am lost and I'm a sinner and I need saved. I need somebody to save me. That's Jesus. That's what he did for me, right? I believe those things. And everything that follows after that is simply a submission that comes from faith. I believe in Jesus. What do I do now? Well, Jesus tells me to confess. Well, okay, I'm going to do that then. I'm going to do that. Not because I think I'm going to earn my salvation, but because that's what Jesus told me to do. And I believe in Jesus, right? A faithful response, submission to his will. He told me to confess. Okay, I'm going to do that then. He told me to repent. Well, I'm going to do that too then. It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. If he wants me to repent, of course I'm going to do it because he is God. He's told me to be immersed. To be immersed, as we've seen, to identify and connect myself with his death, to put on Christ, 
to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to be ultimately saved so that I can be a new person going forward. And because he's told me that that's what I'm going to do, because he's told me that's what he wants me to do, then as part of my faithful response to the message, I will submit to his will and do that. Not as some means of earning salvation, but as a total experience of submission to the will of Jesus. And so we end with a very simple verse, Acts 22, 14 through 16. Of course, this is Paul talking about something that happened in the past. He's recalling his own, um, he's recalling his own conversion here. Acts 22, verse 14. Of course, we know his, his conversion story, right? He, he's walking to Damascus. He sees this vision of Jesus. Jesus appears to him and then he's struck blind and he has to go to Damascus and find this guy and he's going to do what? Well, what happens? He said, the God of our fathers appointed you, that is Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be witness to him, to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Just like we are, right? We are witnesses of what we have seen and heard. Now, it's not exactly the same because I, I did not see a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. But I have seen what God has done for me. I've seen what God has done for you. I've heard the message of salvation. I've heard the message of God. I've seen and heard. I'm to be his witness. But first what? Now why do you wait? Rise and be immersed and wash away your sins, calling on his name. We began with the question, right? Calling on his name. What does that mean? Calling on his name is a multi-step process. It's not a single thing. It is confessing. It is repenting. It is being immersed. It is doing all of those things because I believe that I need to do what Jesus said. That's it. That's the end of the discussion. I believe that I need to do what Jesus has commanded me to do. And this is one of those things. And so the conclusion is simple. Why do you wait? Why do you wait? We all have reasons, don't we? We have reasons why we wait. All sorts of reasons. I'm not ready yet. There's, maybe there's some sin you don't want to give up. Maybe it's because there's, it will cause some family conflict. Maybe you're just not ready for the commitment. I don't know what it is. Any number of things that could be there, but why? If you believe in the good news of the gospel, if you've turned from self-determination to submission, that is repentance, if you're ready to confess your belief in Jesus, why do you wait? Rise and be immersed and wash away your sins. 